reporter Piers Cunningham, who joins us just about uh, this time every Wednesday to give us the very latest. Piers, welcome once again to Peninsula Talks. 950 cases, the record high, daily high for the state of Victoria. 950 cases, uh, bringing a total, uh, the total of active cases to under 10,000, 9,890 active cases. Live loss, very sadly, seven. But that, that uh, as you mentioned in the opening, the, uh, the daily death toll, unfortunately, seems to be creeping higher. And this is as our uh, friends in New South Wales see their numbers come down. So something that was quite striking to me was that crossover between the, the daily rates uh, of New South Wales for the first time dropping below the daily rate of Victoria. I wouldn't be surprised if that trend continues, and it does make people scratch their heads a bit and wonder about, you know, there's, there's greater freedoms and the lockdowns have never been quite as uh, broad or as um, as tough as in Greater Melbourne in Sydney and and yet their numbers are coming down and ours are going up. So lockdown doesn't seem to be doing what it should be against Delta, especially in those hot spots of the west and north of the city. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Sydney has always been a little bit uh, looser in terms of its restrictions on areas and stuff like that. And it's been a lot more selective about where it was going to introduce those lockdowns rather than us, you know, the sort of carte blanche right the way across the state and or the city. Whereas up in mm. New South Wales have been a lot more selective in terms of what they've been doing and uh, who and what they will lock down. Interesting. Yeah, I just wonder whether the vaccine rates are beginning to kick in up in New South Wales as well now. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, this has always been the excuse of of the Andrews government in Victoria is that oh you know we haven't had access to the you know to the Pfizer and to the other vaccinations. I don't know. I find that argument a little bit sort of hollow because we are manufacturing over seven hundred and fifty thousand doses of, of AstraZeneca in Melbourne every week. So there's never been shortages of AstraZeneca. It's because of this vaccine hesitancy. And okay, I can understand that that was you know the product of mixed messaging early on about side effects and stuff and hopefully a lot of those concerns have been allayed in, in the minds of the community but I mean when you talk about shortages of the vaccine are you talking about just Pfizer or are you talking about all vaccines because the, the public advice uh, of the Victorian government is any jab in your arm is the best jab to have Indeed Indeed and AstraZeneca, of course, beginning to prove its own as well in terms of the Delta variant. In fact, they're all beginning to stack up pretty well. Notice, however, that Israel is going to get stuck into third shots for everybody as well. They're going hard out there. And Biden as well also mentioning the fact uh, that uh, USA is going to avail itself of those third shots. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that Pfizer is coming out and saying that more that, that that's more sort of a, of a, a likely requirement than with AstraZeneca. So there is actually the possibility, even though this sort of bad messaging and stuff, and I mean, if you look at the actual number of people who are hospitalised, whether you've had AstraZeneca or Pfizer, really makes very little difference. They're almost exact, and that's looking at sort of very large numbers of people who've had both types of vaccine all around the world. The, the terms of hospitalisation, the, the numbers, are, the percentages are almost identical. It's a very low percentage that wind up in hospital, I should add. Uh, but it looks like, uh, from what I've read, that the recommendation might be that you get a Pfizer booster earlier than you get an AstraZeneca booster, which is interesting. Very interesting indeed. Piers, obviously some you know pretty disturbing pictures in the north and the west of the city at the moment um, with ambulances backing up. Obviously there is some stress on our hospital system at the moment, especially if these numbers keep presenting to hospital wards. Yeah, and, and again... 
mean, I think this is a disappointment for, for people in Melbourne and, and again, a cause for head-scratching because the whole idea of lockdown was to buy time. And we've had a lot of lockdown. We've had, uh, my calculation, we're on 241 days of cumulative lockdown, which I think does make us now the most lockdown city in the world, surpassing even Buenos Aires, which had some very, very tough lockdowns. And in Buenos Aires, they didn't have the benefit of any kind of government support in the way of uh, financial support or food or anything like that. So people were really left to sort themselves out and did it on a sort of community basis or starved. Uh, so we're very fortunate in Australia to have had the, the support to make it possible to survive that kind of lockdown. But if you have that such a long lockdown, then what are you spending that time on? You're supposed to be spending that time on preparing for when you open up. And and that, I think, is that would make people scratch their heads now and say, well, why aren't our hospitals ready to deal with the virus? Even with Delta, which is a slightly more dangerous in terms of uh, the death rate, but it's, it's mainly the, the infectious uh, capability of that, of that strain that's, that's the real concern. But despite that, you know, we've had a long time. The government has had a long time to prepare our hospital system. If that means recruiting new, new nurses to run extra uh, ICU wards or get extra ventilators or increase capacity, all those things, you know, there's been 241 days of, of cumulative lockdown to get things ready. And if we're not ready, then... You know, what was the benefit of the lockdown, really, to the community? These are very good, very, very good questions, Piers Cunningham, and that's why we get you on the radio show each and every Wednesday morning to uh, to put them to us and uh, get us thinking about things as well. And indeed, if they are not ready. Also, you know, this sort of tantalising notion as well about the double vax and what's going to happen and loosening of restrictions. I mean, it all seems a little bit nebulous at the moment. There doesn't seem to be a, a game plan, a, a, a firm game plan in prospect for us at the moment either. Greg Hunt, the federal health minister, came out and announced that uh, starting from the 1st of November, there'll be um, rapid antigen uh, home testing, which is, I think, a really big game changer. It's been used overseas very effectively. We've talked about a little bit in the past on this segment, uh, where you can actually take responsibility. If you start to feel sick, instead of spending time and exposing other people while you wait to get tested somewhere for a PCR the gold standard test, which takes at least 24 hours, usually about 24 hours to give you the result, you can say, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit sick. I'm at home. I'm going to do a test myself. Uh, As simple to use as a home pregnancy testing kit. Not quite as reliable as as a PCR test, but I believe if you've got, if you're a particular risk to the community, i.e. with with high viral load, then those rapid antigen tests are pretty accurate. can be uh, well over 90% accurate. Uh, so, and that's preventing someone, you or someone, a loved one, a family member, for example, or work colleague, from then going out and infecting other people. And it is, we know, the, the people who've got high viral load who are the most at risk to uh, the general community. So rapid antigen testing has a big role to play and it will allow people to take more responsibility for their own health and for, for their family members and work colleagues, community around them, by testing themselves and taking precautions as required. Uh, and, and those tests are going to be readily available. They'll be cheap to use. There's a little bit of detail to sort out about whether there has to be some betting of the test that you've done. And there's different ways that have been have been implemented around the world to do that. can be through a QR code on your phone. I'm hoping that that'll be the sort of system that's, that's adopted in Australia because you don't want to have to be taking the rapid, rapid antigen test somewhere else to get it verified. It needs to be verifiable from home. 
Uh, and in England, that's done with a QR code on the actual test. You upload your data and it gets verified against, you know, your other information, how many, whether you're double vax or single vax, that sort of information. And then a QR code sent back to you. So it records the result of the, the home test and then it also sends it, it includes that in, in uh, you know, more general data about the virus and spread within the community that the health authorities have. It can be integrated with contact tracing data, for example. The other thing that's very key, I think, about rapid antigen testing is that we've got lots of... There are people, there's a percentage of the population that's not going to be vaccinated. It might be, it might be 10 15% are going to refuse. There's been a lot of very out-of-control protests and the like in, in, in Melbourne, central Melbourne. I think some of them are even ongoing as we speak. But rapid antigen testing doesn't require you to be injected with anything. And it is a way for people who have concerns about the vaccine to actually be included in more things as we open up. And so rather than being uh, you know, excluded because they're not part of the, the vast majority who are vaccinated, they can actually do things and still not be required to have the jab. Now, don't get me wrong, I think the jab is still the way to go, but there will be for, for some people who have genuine concerns or even health reasons why they can't have the vaccine then that rapid antigen testing provides a way for them to be included in the post-COVID world where we open up. Yes, I certainly like the idea, the intervention of technology to assist us out of here and of also, also, of course, the QR codes to give us that uh, opportunity maybe to get back into the skies later on the year as well. Interesting couple of uh, points I just want to make before we wrap it up, Pierce. Obviously, Qantas very, very keen and they're indeed suggesting that they're going to get flight schedules as busy as pre-COVID up in the air by December this year. Mr Joyce and his friends very keen to get Qantas happening. And Josh Frydenberg as well uh, suggested in the last few hours that he's going to be equating vaccine rates with the amount of support that uh, can be given to state governments. So if you're saying that maybe we at Spring Street have been a little bit hesitant about opening up, perhaps this is going to be an inducement to get things really rolling very, very quickly because if the Fed start reducing the amount of uh, disposable income that's going to be uh, going into some state coffers, then maybe there's a great incentive there to get things hammering real fast. They were reluctant, I think, to bring back support for lockdowns because they thought, well, that's going to just breed sort of dependency uh, from from governments, from state governments to lockdown. But then they brought it in because of Delta, that the, the sort of truth of Delta sunk in and said, OK, we've got to, we have to fund the lockdowns along the lines of what we did last year, but not to the same extent. This time they want to wind them back and tie that to the level of, of vaccines. But there are other people who are objecting. Labor, Labor is saying, well, in fact, we need to look at the the sort of post-lockdown world, there may well need to be support for the people who still need it then, people who are unemployed or whose industries have been permanently damaged. And we haven't seen that yet. We don't really know what the post-lockdown economy looks like, particularly in Greater Melbourne, because we've been in lockdown for so long. But it may well be changed and there will be, there will be businesses who have failed and, and don't come back. Very sadly. And that, I guess, is why Frydenberg is suggesting it's going to be a week-by-week proposition going forward from here. I guess we will have to wait and see, but I think you're probably quite right, Piers. It uh, would suggest that uh, maybe there's going to be a lot more damage in some pockets of the economy than we are probably expecting. Piers Cunningham, thank you so much indeed for once again being there. Just repeating the major headlines uh, that you've given us this morning, 950 cases, tragically seven deaths. Would be very interesting to have a look at the ages and the pre-existing medical conditions of those people as well. But nevertheless, Delta still seems to be on the rampage through the north and the west of the city, and obviously Victoria having to cope with bigger numbers than it has in the past.
We, we need a little light. We need a little shaft of light. Little, what are, what are you going to leave us with? Light, a little bit of light is that you can go and have a legal game of golf with a mate. I think it's two per group on the uh, on the track, and uh, and I think you can also have a game of tennis. So there is a little bit of relaxation. I think you might even be permitted to go 15 kilometres from your door, which is a bit of a breakthrough. There is a little bit of relaxation, very modest relaxation of restrictions that have applied in this uh, stage four lockdown that applies to Greater Melbourne, which unfortunately includes the, controversially includes the highly vaxxed area of the Mornington Digital, which also has quite low case numbers compared with other areas. So uh, that's that's another uh, positive thing that's emerged. Go and have a game of golf or a game of tennis. Indeed, and enjoy the facilities down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Pierce, thank you very much indeed for giving up some of your time again. Look forward to talking to you same time next week. Stay well, stay safe. Piers Cunningham, our special COVID-19 reporter here at RPPFM. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. Just a quick update and a few final thoughts for the program. We do talk about COVID a bit, even though I think everyone's probably pretty much over talking about it. But uh, this is a radio show and uh, one of our briefs for doing this at the moment is to cover COVID. So we do. Victorian numbers of 867 and uh, sadly four deaths is a rather startling figure. And it does mark the first time in this sixth wave or whatever it is, sixth lockdown, the current uh, Delta wave is probably a better way of referring to it, but it's the first time that Victoria has exceeded New South Wales as a, a daily number. So they seem to be coming down in New South Wales. We seem to be going up, even though uh, New South Wales does considerably more testing than Victoria. Uh, so those were detected off the back of nearly 50,000 tests. Uh, and it brings the number of active infections in the state of Victoria to 9,261. So, talking about lockdowns and how to get out of them, and uh, you know, using things like rapid antigen testing, uh, what is the what is society, what is our community going to look like when we do eventually hit our targets of double vaccination and emerge from this really unbelievable lockdown? Uh, just to give you an idea. Melbourne's had 240 days of lockdown by my reckoning as of today. That is the longest in the world. You know, what amazes me about that is that there are places that are open and and businesses happening and people have got livelihoods and jobs and kids are at school and they've got so much higher in in the daily, daily numbers. Even though our numbers, you know, we'd much rather they were lower, there are places around the world that are open and functioning in a way that we're not in Victoria and that we haven't been for a long, long time. Uh, when and if we open on uh, October the 26th at 70% double dosed, which is the government's target, uh, lockdowns will have lasted 267 days. And if you calculate out the cost per day of lockdown at $150 million, and I reckon that's conservative, but let's say that's about right, $150 million, uh, that equals... If you uh, multiply 150 million by 267 days, which will be the total uh, lockdown number of days in in, uh, Victoria up to uh, the opening on October the 26th, if that happens, 
Uh, that's about $40 billion. And KPMG, the accountants, reckon that this cost is mainly incurred by private businesses and privately employed workers, particularly when you consider that uh, this year with there's been less in the way of government support. But our Premier doesn't seem to be bothered by these sort of costs and by the examples from overseas and by the uh, unbelievable record of uh, being the longest and, and hardest lockdown place on the planet. He sent his son to Queensland for schooling last year to avoid the lockdown which he imposed on Melbourne and has given himself pay rises, making him the highest paid premier in the country. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? When you've got the worst record in dealing with the virus, whether it's quarantine leakages or numbers exceeding New South Wales, even though they locked down later and not as hard as Victoria did when it finally came down here, when Delta arrived, uh, he is earning a staggering $441,439 a year. That is the highest in Australia of any Premier. Today marks the, the day that Victoria overtook New South Wales for case numbers. So excluding the 150-odd uh, that were missed in yesterday's total, today's total is 867 and four deaths, sadly, for Victoria. New South Wales, 863 and seven deaths, very sadly. ACT's recorded 13 new cases. It does stand out to me that, that that landmark has happened. I think it shouldn't be overlooked that New South Wales has got its numbers coming down and ours seem to be going up. Now, whether this is because of some of these mass demonstrations that have been happening in the city and possible super spreading events that have gone on there, there was someone who was, I think, protesting at the, sh the shrine that wound up the next day in hospital in a pretty bad way. Uh, and it's quite possible that they've infected other people. Whether those have actually been picked up, those uh, possible extra cases, and, and even how much of our testing is, it's not covering every single case out there. It just doesn't, Delta's too contagious for that. They're not testing every single person in the whole state. So we don't actually know how many people are being missed. What we do know is that there are quite a lot more tests being done on a daily basis in New South Wales than in Victoria. So again, New South Wales numbers coming down, 863 cases versus 867 for Victoria today. This is despite a tougher lockdown, uh, which started with lower case numbers in Melbourne. Uh, six cases, in fact, back on August the 6th when the Andrews government decided to lock down, go hard, go early, short and sharp, all that kind of rhetoric. Well, it looks like that lockdown and those lockdown measures haven't worked very well against Delta. One thing that may be affecting the New South Wales numbers is higher vaccination levels there than in Victoria. You know, you, you have to scratch your head and look at this and say, well, last year during the big lockdown, that 111 days of lockdown we endured about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I think we were still in it, uh, the same northern and western areas of Melbourne as now are the worst areas for COVID. So why weren't these vulnerable areas targeted by the government in their education efforts this second time round? Surely someone within the state government would have actually said, oh, okay, maybe we should be learning some lessons from what we, what we experienced last time. Finally, with 47.7% of people double jabbed, and this is in Melbourne now, in, in Victoria, 47.7, approaching that 50% mark, double dosed, why can't these people enjoy greater freedoms now? Why do we have to wait? 
if half of us are double vaccinated and we're moving to a situation of COVID normal where we're going to open up because we're vaccinated, what about the half who are vaccinated now? They show their vaccine certificates and they can do more things. I'm not saying everything. I'm not saying be crazy about it. Not, not wild open day or freedom day or whatever they've, they've had in other parts of the world. Just saying, why can't the 47% of us who are double vaccinated now enjoy more freedom? Don't get it. So that, that's the end from me today. I'm, I'm not really that happy to be a Victorian at the moment. I think I'd rather be in some other part of Australia. I think actually any other part of Australia. Very sad to say that because born and bred in Melbourne, lived here all my life, love the place, love the people, lots of family and deep connection over many generations. It's just a shame that this is the way things have turned out. Beyond Infinity.